in the high desert in the great American Southwest. I'm Art Bell. Slamming into your radio like a supercharged nanoparticle of unobtainium. My name is George Van. I'm Richard Serrett. This is Connie Willis. I'm George Norrie. Welcome to Coast to Coast Day. It's great to be here. Welcome to Coast to Coast PM, the number one unofficial Coast to Coast AM podcast. We are two brothers who analyze the world's largest overnight paranormal radio show known as Coast to Coast AM. My name is Paul. I'm the one that listens to this inexplicable radio show here with my brother. Hey, it's Chris and Paul. I sure am excited for another exciting episode of Coast to Coast PM. I am too, Chris, because we're going to be getting a little political with it today. Political? You know, that's one of my favorite things to do and you rarely let me do it it's because it's one of my least favorite things to do but today we are going to be checking out george Norris' interview with rfk jr the presidential candidate from thursday january 18th 2024 we're talking about robert f kennedy jr the one the only rfk jr future president of the united states some kennedy jr some call him that a few not many there are a few and I think less and less than when he first announced over the summer. I think people just like that his last name is Kennedy. I really think that is everything about his campaign is my last name is Kennedy. Hey, baby, I took a look merely because of the Kennedy last name. And I will say, I don't think any other presidential candidate in history has talked about his family as much as RFK. Half of this interview was just him talking about his dad and his uncle. His Father and his uncle are two of the most influential people in modern American history, and they were assassinated, and they were assassinated by the American, early American deep state. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Okay, we're still saying that? You have to say allegedly. That's the most important thing to say. Okay. (laughs) Chris. But before we get to any of that, and how much of a massive, massive impact RFK Jr. is going to have on this presidential campaign. Chris, we got to go check in with our good friend Tim Pinal at the Coast to Coast AM blog. Tim time! Today's article, Dead Man Comes Back to Life After Ambulance Hits Pothole in India. In India again, Paul. Mostly India stories this month. <laughs> 2024 will be the year of India for Coast you w- to Coast PM. You took one trip to India. Now it's all I want to talk about. And now it's all India, baby. I was just that jealous. Yeah, that's okay. All right. So uh, we got potholes bringing people to life. Yeah. Let's uh, check out the article. Let's see what in happens. A- In a strange story out of India, a man who was declared dead suddenly came back to life when an ambulance transporting him to his funeral hit a pothole. Okay, declared dead in India is you're living just about anywhere else in the world. Okay, but he was also on his way to his funeral, which is concerning. Well, they didn't remember the lady that was baiting on the casket in uh, South America? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes these rural areas will declare you dead and you're not even close to dead. Well, what was that? A, uh, uh, I think that was an office episode where Dwight's family had a funeral and then they shot the body with a shotgun just to make sure they were dead. <laughs> I always appreciated that. <laughs> I don't remember that, but that is hilarious. According to a local media report, the shocking incident occurred this past week in the community of Patilla. 
when the Darshan Singh Brar was taken to the hospital by his grandson after he had fallen ill. All right, so we got an old man, probably some kind of respiratory disease where his breathing gets incredibly shallow and staggered. And old people already don't breathe that deeply. No, they're really bad at breathing. I feel so yeah. bad for them sometimes. The 80-year-old man was placed on a ventilator for four days. He was only 80 years old. He could have been president of America. Like, what's the problem here? <laughs> well, hold up a second. Does he have poop in his pants? Uh, it does not say, Chris. It does no not say. poop pants? Then I don't know if he can run America, actually, Paul. Can I ask a favor? Yeah. For this episode, can we limit the poop pants jokes? I can only... How about doo-doo diapers? Just uh, just uh, fecal matter in pants. I'm trying to stay away from <laughs> The 80-year-old man was on the ventilator for the past four days until this past Thursday when doctors declared him dead after his heart had stopped beating. Well, that's fair. Well, yeah, if your heart stops beating, you're probably dead. You're usually, I think that is what being dead means, actually. Well, okay, so hold up a second. His heart stops... And them hitting the pothole jolts his heart back into place. Boom, back up. Well, Ooh. let's let's keep listening or okay. keep reading. Upon receiving the sad news, his family arranged for an ambulance to transport his body to his hometown of Nising, where they planned to hold a funeral. Okay, this is all making sense now. All right, yeah. so keep going, keep going. However, Brower's story took a miraculous turn on the way to the memorial service. While en route to Nising, the ambulance struck a pothole, which jolted the vehicle and its occupants. I'm going to tell you, the potholes in India are the most epic potholes I've ever seen in my life. We saw a pothole that had a small lake in it, and you literally had to like drive on the sidewalk in this town... To get around this massive lake pothole. That's kind of impressive. It was incredible. I was like, you know, we can say whatever we want in America. You know, in South Carolina, we have terrible roads. Everyone makes fun of it, makes fun of us for it. But my God, dude, India has for real potholes. So I honestly believe a <laughs> jolt at full speed in one of these potholes could definitely make your heart stop ticking start ticking again well i know our average life expectancy in america is actually dipping slightly do you yeah. think it would help if we stopped fixing the roads stop fixing the roads we may <laughs> just need some heart jump starts the problem being with that paul is that most of the time in america it's our arteries clogging that's so true. no That's amount true. of jolts are going to get that heart going. They don't have that problem in India yet. They're still a very skinny country. They'll figure it out soon enough. They'll get there. I mean, look what we did to Mexico. I think yeah. the, the BMI is higher in Mexico, Mexico per capita than it is in America. That is our real influence. People think it's our music in Hollywood, but it's actually obesity. It's making the world fat. You're welcome. All right, back and, to the article. And the Americans did make the world in their image, and it was fat. <laughs> back to the article, Chris. They hit the pothole, right? Yeah, Moments, the later. Pothole. Moments later, Brar's astonished grandson, who was riding along with his body, noticed that he was moving his hands. Ooh, dude. I'm going to say would be creeped out. 
I would be, be terrified. Out. My immediate thought, zombie. Yeah, zombie or even more terrifying ideas of reanimation. Yeah, it's Frankenstein. Who knows? It was subsequently determined that the dead man still had a heartbeat and the ambulance made a detour to the nearest hospital where he is currently being treated in their intensive care unit. That's got to be a big old whoopsie on the hospital. I wonder it if, doesn't, yeah. Doesn't I wonder good. if there's some kind of uh, recompense fund or something that goes to the families of people who were declared dead and were actually alive. You know, and that's one of those things, man, is if I'm ever in the hospital, they should try to resuscitate me. Yeah. Just give it the old college try. I'm not saying you got to try for hours. Yeah, yeah, just a quick try. It may have said this man was still alive. Just give me a couple punches in the chest, see if that starts back up. See what happens. <laughs> Drive me around the South Carolina road. Yeah, just Maybe real the fast. We'll just jolt back going, dude. As one might imagine, Barber's family is overjoyed at this good fortune. It's a miracle, his grandson marveled, recalling how everyone who had gathered to mourn his death congratulated us. Memorial service ultimately turned out to be a celebration. Kind of baller party, though. I mean, that's kind of, you're like getting prepared to go to a funeral. Funerals are huge in India. Like, yeah. the whole community comes in for a funeral, family coming for whatever. So everybody's flocking in to this town, and it's like, actually grandpa's alive and everyone's like <laughs> what <laughs> that would be fun that, that would, would be, be fun. fun that would be fun well i'm very happy for the family i hope that he comes out of it okay and has another wonderful 20 or 30 years hopefully I, running the government of india give him another 80 yeah give him another 80 years he deserves yeah. it how old is modi modi's got to be in his 60s Possibly let's, 70s. Let's check it out. How old is Modi? He was born in 1950. Oh, wow. Wow, so he's pretty old. He's he's old enough. He's in his yeah. 70s now. I think we should rewrite laws where you have to be 70-year-olds 70 old to be present. Oh, yeah, only 70s with dementia can be our leaders from here That's on out. That's the best way that a, a country runs, Chris. Yeah. Um. And speaking of running a country, are you ready for our RFK Jr. interview? Can we please call him President Kennedy the whole episode? <laughs> President, future President Kennedy. Future President Robert F. Kennedy Jr. President-elect Robert F. Kennedy. There you go. Future <laughs> President-elect Robert F. Kennedy Jr. We, that's how we refer to him every single time. All right. Well, Chris, first off, we got to start with the most bleeding question here, which is the Kennedy family. I don't know if you know this, known for being Democrats. I thought we were going to say, how'd you get into this? Well, he starts <laughs> off with, why'd you leave the Democrats instead okay. of how'd you get into this? Okay. But it's close. It's close. It's, it's close. That's okay. It's disappointing. And also, Nori started like adjusting how'd you get into this now. I think he's been listening to our podcast. We made fun of him too much. We made fun of him too much? Yeah. Yeah. And, ah, Georgie. It was out of love. It was all out of love, dude. It was all out of love, Georgie. Yep. All right, let's get into it. Why did he leave the Democratic Party and start running as an independent for president? Because they're they're blue blood, dude. They they go back with the DNC. Come from a family that is staunch Democratic. Your uncle, uh, the late uh, John F. Kennedy, president. Your father, the senator. Everybody was Democrats. Ted Kennedy. You've decided to switch and become an independent. How come? 
Um, the, the Democrat Party has departed from a lot of the values that I grew up with. And my idea during this campaign, the initial stage of this campaign, was to try to summon the party back to those original ideas. Um, but we figured out very early on that the Democratic Party was not going to allow me to compete fairly in a campaign. And they, I think the coup de grace was when they changed a rule to say that anybody who stepped in the state of New Hampshire could not win any delegates from New Hampshire. So even if I won 100% of the vote in New Hampshire, all of my delegates would go to President Biden. He forgot to mention Maria Shriver, who was married to Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was, in fact, a Republican. You've been checked, mate, Nori. Wait, what? Maria Shriver is a Kennedy. Oh, is she? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. And so she was married to Arnold Schwarzenegger. I am unclear if they're still married after the uh, sleeping with the housemaid fiasco that happened to old Schwarzenegger. I haven't kept up with Arnold Schwarzenegger, if I'm being real. Not, I haven't really. He tries to get a little political here and there. He's pretty much an anti-Trumper. He's kind of boring now, to be quite I, honest. I mostly ignore anything coming out of California. That's the best, that's the best answer yet. <laughs> that's the best answer yet. Okay, so kind of a, a you know, actual kind of a political answer on why he left the Democratic Party. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to really run as a Democrat, which is true. You That's know, for very the, true. For the party that claims to be the protectors of democracy, they really hate democracy at the end of the day. Well, they don't want anyone challenging Biden. They want Biden to be able to run. And I think it's interesting because I was under the impression when Biden ran that he was an interim candidate. He was filling the hole. That's what he kept saying. He ran on running only one term. That's yeah. what he ran on. Then they realized that everybody hates Kamala Harris. And then they were like, oops, well, I guess he's got to run again. Yeah. And then they just went on that. And they're totally convinced they're totally convinced that Joe Biden is the only person in America who can beat Donald Trump and save democracy, even though they are acti actively destroying democracy on a regular basis. Well, and what's what really sucks is that we're going to have to do because like, let's be real. Trump is, is going to win the Republican nomination. I think Nikki Haley might have a chance in New Hampshire, maybe, but she's still probably going to come in second place. There, she's getting um, smashed right now, dude. The the press is starting to turn on her. Oh, I haven't I haven't been paying too much attention to that. But um, I know some she, of the some of her extramarital affairs that happened while she was down here in South Carolina are starting to make it into national oh, news. Fun. She's about to get blasted. Hey, man, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, Trump did it. A little side piece, baby. Trump started dating all of his wives before he divorced the other wife. One of my most interesting conversations was uh, with an African man was during the, and this was a man from Africa, and he we this was during the John Edwards. For all you old people, you'll know who John Edwards is, but he was a senator from North Carolina who ran against Obama and Hillary in 2008. And he got caught sleeping around and got in a lot of trouble. This was during the presidential campaign. 
And this African guy just says to me, I don't understand what the big deal is. He's the big man. He's allowed to sleep with whoever he wants to. He's the big man. And I was like, that's kind of a weird way to think about it, but I guess so. <laughs> I guess that's right. So yeah, maybe you're right, you know? And Nikki Haley, the big woman, she gets to sleep with whoever she wants. Yeah. Listen, I'm just saying out of fairness, Trump probably had more affairs. So oh, uh, so many more affairs. I it mean, was, it's mostly been one big affair for him. Yeah. So but his whole life isn't an affair. Let's get back to the show, though, because here's the important thing about Robert F. Kennedy is that he's above the left right paradigm now, Chris, because he's an independent. <laughs> independent <laughs> means I'm independent, baby. And it also, George, just felt better for me not to be part of the of the partisanship, of the polarization, of the rancor, the vitriol, the backroom deals, the smoke-filled rooms, and to be able to step away from all of that and and be outside of the party and be able to look at issues, not as Democratic issues or Republican issues, but to say, you know, is closing the border good for our country? And, and enlarging legal immigration, is that good for our country? And it whether whether it's good, good, whether it's a Democratic issue or Republican issue is irrelevant to me now. And it allowed me, it freed me to be able to look at every issue on its own merits rather than obey some kind of party orthodoxy. I hate when people use the expression smoke-filled rooms because they're not filled with smoke anymore, dude. Nobody's smoking. You can't you can't smoke at the Capitol. You can't smoke inside because they're all pansies. So it may actually <laughs> be better if the rooms were full of smoke. Well, here's the benefit of them being smoke-filled rooms is that they would all die a lot earlier right. and we wouldn't have a bunch of octogenarians running yes, that Congress is true right too. now. So I'm saying let's force <laughs> Congress people to smoke. They all have to chain smoke. That's the you only way to, we'll elect them. I, I want them out by 65. One cigar an hour, dude. I'm doing a one cigar an hour. Yeah. While you're in the congressional building. <laughs> but yeah, they, they, as you walk in, there's just a guy with a butane lighter just lighting everyone just up. That would be kind of badass. Here's your cigar, sir. I'm going to start smoking. <laughs> just chiefing it down. I'll pay for them, dude. I'll pay for those cigars. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, the giant money dumpster fire that is the American government, that's a drop in the bucket. And like you said, it kills them so so it actually we win in the end. Yeah. Yeah. So because they out. don't get fat pensions and they don't get to steal using the stock market. Yeah, it's great. So we may actually see some real benefit from this if we institute this plan. Yeah, just it's just one of those things where you know, or maybe they'll just get emphysema and then they won't be able to work anymore. That's fine. Posternauts didn't know that we have all the good policy plans. I know we we should run. I think is what we're learning here. But let's get into the polling data, Chris, because like, what are the polls saying about RFK? Some of the polls that I've seen lately, Robert, show that uh, one in four people would vote for you if given the opportunity. And as an independent, that's absolutely astounding. Yeah, I'm actually beating both President Biden and President Trump among Americans under 45 years old. I'm also beating them 
uh, among independents, which is now the largest political affiliation for the first time in history. This this uh, election, independents will be the largest group of, of people, larger than Democratic Republican. My favorability ratings are 10 points ahead of President Trump and 11 points ahead of President Biden. And so, you know, I have, and, and both of those presidents who are now running for office have the lowest ranking in terms of favorability of anybody who's ever run for president. Have you looked at the polling data recently? It's absolutely fascinating. The American people especially under 45, are essentially screaming anybody else. Yeah, like, if yeah. no one was a category, it would be le winning leaps and bounds in the under 45s. Over 45, they're either Trump or they're either Biden. And they're, they're just completely bought in completely on one or the other. Yeah, yeah. And the what Nori said was slightly wrong. It was actually one in five are considering a vote for yeah, um RFK. He's got like twenty percent of the populace, I think. Yeah, are saying that they are considering voting for him. I don't know if that's gonna end up actually being what happens, but that's if what people are saying right now. The thing is is that there's no way he's gonna be able to get on every single state's ballot as a regular independent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he may not even get half. Yeah, he's apparently looked into starting his own party so that he can more easily get on all the ballots. So right. we'll we'll see what ends up happening. But yeah. I don't. I also think that this is one of those early polling things where people are just like, "Please don't make me do Trump Biden again. Like, please don't make me do it." That's all. I'll, that's, I'll vote for anyone else. That's what I think is really happening here. Is just like it's just somebody else. Yeah, and he's it's a Kennedy. young guy. He other his voice sucks, but. For the most part, he's like a healthy kind of strapping guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got the Kennedy look down. I'm so, and again, he's saying weird stuff, dude. And the American people are weird. We <laughs> like you to say really weird things sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's at least interesting when you say weird things. Like Vivek Ramaswamy is a crazy person, but when he's like. 9-11 was an inside job. I was like, did he really say that? Did he just say that? <laughs> and did I just fall, fall in love with Vivek Ramaswamy? I was like, wait, who I did, that. Who I didn't know who he was six months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, he's going to be crazy. Around, he's going to be around for a while. Insane. But again, dude, some of his stuff was directionally right. You know, like he is going after the bureaucratic state. And I kind of like that. Well, at this point, I'm mostly wanting to be entertained because there's nothing left. There's nothing, nothing left. good will happen. There's so I'm nothing. like, yeah, if you say some crazy shit, I'll pay attention. <laughs> this man, I'm going to vote for you, but I'll pay there's attention. There's no more juice to squeeze, boys. <laughs> Fruit's dry. Everything's going downhill. <laughs> All right, let's get back to our boy. But, but president-elect, future <laughs> president-elect Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is going to save us. He's going to fix it all, apparently, including the fact that parties are owned by big business. And people in this country are now struggling, and nobody's talking for them because both political parties, after the Citizens United case, are now owned by BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, by the military contractors, North of Norfolk Grumman, Raytheon, Boeing, Lockheed, General Dynamics. 
by the big banks and the pharmaceutical companies and, and the oil and coal now own both political parties. Both political parties are the parties of war. Both political parties are the parties of lockdown. Um, <coughs> both political parties are engaged in censorship of one kind and another. So it seems, you know, I was vigilant about all of these issues and um, and I felt like I needed to have a voice. I felt like a lot of Americans were feeling the way that I was about it. And at least I should, this would give me an opportunity to talk about these issues. And and I saw. When somebody starts talking like that, I always think of the classic always sunny bit. Am I supposed to vote for the Democrat who wants to plow my ass or the Republican (laughs) who's plowing my ass currently? (laughs) They're just like, yeah, that's it. You know what I mean? That's the most succinct and vivid version of that, though. It's like, yes, we all are now aware the mask is off. These people are just taking everything out of our pockets and putting it into theirs. They have no need. They have no desire to help the American people. Neither party. They're not even talking about policy anymore like there are no tangible benefits matt chrisman who i've talked about a couple of times on this podcast but matt chrisman he's one of the guys from chapo trap house he calls it treats there are no more treats to give the treats are gone we should have matt chrisman on at some point that would be funny but yeah and that particular little spiel was really boring to me i prefer rfk to say crazy shit and that right. was like pretty mainstream aligned with what everyone says. Like, it's oh, a, it's, the government's not working for its people anymore, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, okay, wh- what are you going to do about it? It's milk toast populism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like, okay, what's what's going to happen? Because everything keeps getting worse and yep. no one seems to have stopped it from getting worse. So I want something real. But yeah, we get no treats. I just want a little snack, you know, a little snack. That's the thing, dude. I'm not even trying to gorge. <laughs> like, I just want, like, a nice little piece of pie, maybe with some vanilla ice cream on top. That's it, dude. That's all One I slice. Want. One yeah, slice. One slice. It's one, one little slice, baby. But now they get into something that was a bit more interesting to me, which is if no one gets 270 votes because president-elect RFK disrupts yeah. so much, yes, no one can get enough electoral votes to win the presidency. What happens then? They don't call him the disruptor for nothing. Anyways, if we don't get enough electoral votes for any individual, what happens? In the case that nobody gets 270 votes, it goes to a um, a, a contingency election where Congress, the the Senate chooses the vice president, Congress chooses the, uh, the president. It's one state, one vote. And the congressional delegates of that state need to agree with each other on who to support. So you would normally think that that would put the election to Donald Trump because the Republican states, the red states, uh, outnumber the blue states by nine. However, there is no, there's not enough to, uh, nobody gets enough under that scenario. If you actually look at the congressional delegations, because some of them are divided, nobody gets enough votes to go to 20 
to get 26, which the Constitution requires. The Constitution requires 26 states. So almost certainly they're going to have to go to a compromise candidate. And, you know, I think I'm going to be in the best position uh, if that happens. Uh, when the heck was the last time that happened? I don't know. I didn't look that up. I don't know. Has that happened since so, like 1750? <laughs> so I was going to say, I know for sure it happened during the John Adams, John, Thomas Jefferson, Aaron Burr, because they they I think there may have been a fourth guy there and they were pretty split relatively evenly. And so then it went to ballots in Congress and then it was really between Jefferson and Burr. And that's when Hamilton and Burr, Hamilton screws over Burr, and that's why they end up shooting each other, because Aaron Burr was like two heartbeats away from the presidency. I do recall that from the hit musical Hamilton. Yes. Well, I was actually, I just recently watched John Adams, oh, the, uh, the docu-series with uh, Paul Giamatti, so that was a big part of it, because because Adams that that's for Adams second term and Adams yeah. lose. And so he's the first one term president, which is kind of a sad thing for him. Yeah. Well, to quote, to quote Lin-Manuel Miranda, Jefferson has my vote. Yeah. So, and I, you know, I was also thinking about this. I wonder how much of this is just George Norrie, like getting a civics lesson. <laughs> I think most of it is that actually. It's <laughs> just kind of like, so how does this part of government work? RFK jr. You're kind of joking, but that's most of this interview is like, but wait, so what happens if no one gets 270? Like, no yeah. one legit doesn't know. Yeah. So so wait, the Congress does what? That each state gets one vote? Okay. How does that work? There's more than one person in a state. Also, if, <laughs> if we were to have to um, have this sort of uh, uh, breakdown of the election, what are the odds that anyone would pick RFK? I feel like Slim. Could you pick who? It sounds like you could pick whoever, though. I think I think at that point you kind of can. They just that would be kind of fascinating. In today's political structure, there's almost no one who could be a compromise candidate between the two sides. I think we just wouldn't have a president for four years, which you know that's fine. Well, so here's the thing: we have more Republican states. Yeah. But I don't know how it would break down in Congress. It would be, dude, that would be very bad for America if that happened. Yeah, I would probably see some riots happening. I wonder if it didn't happen in 1876. There was some weird shenanigans that made Rutherford B. Hayes the president in 76. And I wonder if it went down to Congress to vote because he had how he wins the South is he says he's going to stop Reconstruction and bring federal troops out. And that's kind of my guess is what would end up happening in that scenario is that Trump would be elected president, but there would be some sort of concessions made to the Democrats in right. order to make sure that happens. Yeah. I don't really see a situation where when it's one vote per state, Biden being able to pull anything out. That doesn't make, no. that doesn't make any sense. No, 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 no. Once you take the population centers out of the way, the Republicans win. They have so many states. They have so many states. Now there it's, isn't shit in most of those states, but fly, they have a lot of them. Flyover country is all Republican. That's where we were raised, dude. This is not yeah. be hating on flyover country. Yeah, but there ain't shit there. There's no people. 
But here's the thing. I honestly don't know. Both presidencies are going to bring our ruin. I think we're just... it. We are on a plane that has run out of gas. Yeah. And we're kind of gliding right now, but we're yeah. dropping an elevation. We're I don't dropping. care who's the pilot. Yeah, we're dropping an elevation no matter what. That's such a great way to put it. Yeah, so... But here's the thing, like, we could we could land okay. <laughs> we could yeah. land okay. The, our elite power structure is just refusing to do it because they want to hold on to what they have so firmly and so strongly and not give up anything that they would rather see all of us destroyed instead of sharing just a little bit of the treats. Yeah, it's like there's an open field to our right and to the left is a giant mountain and we're being driven into the mountain. They're like, well, if we go into the field, we will have to share some stuff. <laughs> so let's just, we're going to get as much juice as we can out of it and then let's just go ahead and crash right into the mountain. And we'll speaking be of dead crashing. anyways. We'll be dead anyways. Speaking of crashing, Chris, uh, let's get into Ukraine. <laughs> oh, God. How would you handle the situation with Ukraine and Russia and Vladimir Putin? I would end the war. I would negotiate a peace. Why aren't we doing because, that now? Well, because the U.S. White House doesn't want peace. And, you know, President Vladimir Putin has twice come to term sheets with Zelensky in Ukraine. The first was the Minsk Accords where they agreed on a settlement. And and Putin's one thing that he demands is an agreement never to put NATO into Ukraine, which is a, a legitimate security demand. And um, and President Zelensky actually ran for president in 2019 and won with 70% of the vote. This is a political novice who's a comedian and actor because he promised to sign the Minsk Accords, which were negotiated with Russia, uh, Ukraine, Britain, France, and Germany. So everybody agreed to it, but the White House killed it. And Victoria Nuland and the neocons in the White House did not want peace with Russia. Dude, Ukraine's so 2023. You just over Ukraine? I'm so over Ukraine. Who cares? Is it's that still, still going, going on? on? <laughs> Is it still even going on? It's still definitely going on. I thought Russia took it over already. No, no, they're still just blobbing bombs. And it's the winter, so I think everyone just kind of holds up in a trench for a while. Okay. I, I just love, I would end the war immediately. Thanks, RFK Jr. Oh, cool. Prob problem solved. That, I love that policy. Just end the war. End the war, George. So easy. But, uh, but let me guess. He wants to just keep on dropping bombs on Gaza. Well, we'll, we'll get there. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. But yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> he loves... He's got to get a touch of Russophile in, though. Yeah, that's so. And this is this is the weird part of RFK, right? Like, it's very much a pro ethno white agenda. What do you mean? Because again, he's very pro Russia, which Russia has become for many, especially especially what in what we used to call the alt right. I think they may call themselves like paleo conservatives or something now. They've they, they keep making new names. Yeah, yeah. They, they've changed their names so many times. I'm unsure what to call them. But what I used to call the alt-right, 
uh, were big fans of Russia mm. because they they saw Russia as uh, a white ethno state. And Putin, over the last about 15, 20 years, has been consistently getting closer and closer to the Russian Orthodox Church. And so there's a real strong, one of the real mores in Russian culture right now is a real conservatism and uh, tradition. And the alt-writers love that stuff. And so I just think it's kind of funny that in this case, RFK is taking the Russian side and the Israeli side, both of which are highly conservative, and I would argue are both ethno-white states. Yeah, that's that's an interesting uh, interesting argument. I think especially around like the alt-right loving Russia, they just love in like the Orthodox Church. It's not the Catholic Church, which I think would give it that extra bump, but they right. really like highly organized hierarchy. Yeah. And I think that's where Russia comes into play is it's a highly organized white hierarchy. So they're just right. super down for it. Well, and so is Israel. Yeah. Yeah. And and Israel is much more explicitly a religious ethnostate. Yeah. Yeah. Ex I mean, explicitly. Yeah. Jewish, uh, the Jewish state. Yeah. Working harder and harder to make it as much of a Jewish state as possible. You got to give it to the Russians. The Russians have never been that into religion. Well, yeah, especially back in the day. <laughs> so, the USSR. <laughs> so Putin's been trying. I think yeah, he's yeah. been relatively unsuccessful. You know, the churchgoers are all pro-Putin, but it's like saying all the churchgoers in the States are, are you know, pro-Ron DeSantis. And it's like, well, where did all that didn't go anywhere? Yeah, I think a lot of them are pro-Trump, too, is the thing. So They become pro-Trump once they realize that they've lost. Oh, yeah, because in the end, they just care about winning, so they're just going to yeah. rationalize whatever they need to. Right. Um, but back to Russia, Chris, because RFK really understands where Russia's coming from here. And Putin then you know, realizes, okay, now Ukraine is a U.S. possession. There's a U.S. puppet government in there. And I got to go into Crimea in order to uh, protect the naval, you know, the only warm water Russian port for 370 years, the naval station at Sevastopol. And he goes into Crimea without firing a shot. He, they're, they're welcomed in the street by Crimea because they're all Russians. And the, the new government that we had installed had banned the Russian language and started making war on ethnic Russians, which are the whole part of, you know, which was 90% of the population of Eastern Ukraine, of, of Lugansk and Donbass and Crimea. And we killed 14, or the, the new government killed 14,000 of them. And Putin, you know, has a list of what Putin did was illegal. He's not a good guy. I'm not defending him. No, he's, uh, he's what not I, a Boy Scout, Americans, that's for sure. Americans need to understand that there was U.S. provocation as well. I had a professor in at University of Arkansas in my international relations classes that it was um, it was like empires of the Mediterranean was the class, and she said if you want to understand Russian foreign policy for the last 500 years. 
the one thing you need to understand is all they've ever wanted was access to a warm water port. Because all the direct ports around Russia are under ice for six months at least of the year. And so they become absolutely useless. And so if if you look at every move they've ever made, it was to get them trade lines to warm water ports for trading. And uh, I played a great game recently called Axis and Allies, Chris, yeah. where you can learn all about the need for Russia to have access to the Mediterranean. Because yep. if you go try, go north, dude, it ain't going to work well. It ain't going to work out for you. What's the one reason they have been so close to Syria for decades, decades? It's the ports that Syria has. Yeah, there you go. And I don't know, something about this just reminded me of, uh, did you hear about the Osama bin Laden letter to America that was going viral on TikTok? I heard about this and then they shut it down, right? Yeah, they started shutting it down, but it was a bunch of like Gen Z people on TikTok talking about like, oh my God, I just read Osama's letter to America and like it completely blew my mind. It was like, it was not a bad letter. Well, it's one of those things where it's like this concept, I feel like that Americans have sometimes where everyone else is a completely irrational, evil actor. And it's like, no, they have reasons for doing what they did. It's not saying that they're good reasons or that their actions were validated, but there is a rationalization behind actions. Like Osama bin Laden's rationalization was American interventionism, which led to an attack on the Twin Towers. That doesn't mean the attack is okay or that it was good, but it means that he had a reason for doing what he did, which is better than him being a completely insane, irrational actor, because then you have no idea what they're going to do. Same thing with with Putin. He is rational in his own way. It doesn't mean what he's doing is a good thing. This is the, the philosophy of liberalism. Right. I'm not talking about liberals and conservatives. I'm talking about liberalism, which is the idea of democracy and capitalism kind of infused. Right. The American way we might be able to say liberalism. The problem that liberalism always has is that it has this doo-doo brained idea of there's good people and there's bad people. Right. There's there every we're we're the superheroes fighting Thanos, right? The marvelization of international relations. And I used, I, I, that, that was how I was trained was in that idealization, right? But that isn't how things work. And that isn't how states interact with each other on that level. So to give like, okay, was Putin the guy that finally pulled the trigger, but the whole state of Russia went to war with the state of Ukraine, right? It wasn't like Putin being like, oh, Zelensky, I don't like you very much. Now let's, you know, have thousands of people die. It's much more complicated than that. And so to make it about this like good versus evil nonsense is so silly and gets in the way of diplomacy. Yeah, which it's interesting that um, he has such this, uh, like, he tries to present that he has a very nuanced view of the Ukraine-Russia conflict right now. Right. Throws that out the window when he gets to Israel, though. The, the, the Israeli, Israel has no choice. Without international support, they have no choice but to destroy Hamas. Hamas is 
pledged to the genocide of the Jewish people, not only in Israel, but worldwide. It, its charter requires that. Its charter forbids, says it's a violation of Islamic law. They even negotiate with Israel, except as a ruse. It says that in its charter. And, uh, and you know, it, they've had five ceasefires, and Hamas has violated every one. Hamas has, the people of Palestine have gotten more international aid than any population in the world. In fact, they've gotten more than, they've gotten 13 times per capita what the what Europeans got when we, with the Marshall Plan. I'm trying to do a little armchair psychology on what are the possible reasons RFK could be so anti-Arab, anti-Muslim, Islamophobic. And I think it may have something to do with Saran Saran, who was the man who killed RFK Sr., his father, was Muslim. Oh, I hadn't connected that. Do you think there's just a little bit of trauma there that he I relates to Islam? I wonder if there's not some trauma there. There could be, because he's very anti-Palestine, like, very. shockingly so. I We may get into it, but I have some other theories as to why RFK is so anti-Islam, anti-Palestine. I accidentally fed into your theories, too, which I didn't mean to do, but... Yeah, it's okay. But we'll go. We'll get there. I want to hear some more, because right now it's just kind of like, okay... So they're like slippery people who can't be trusted. You know, they only negotiate when they're actually going to attack. You know, kind well, and same <laughs> the same kind of BS that people like him have been saying about any people attacking somebody stronger than them. And he also brought up a point that really annoys me that um, the Trump administration used to drop about how Palestine gets more aid per capita than anyone else in the world, right, right. which is completely inaccurate. It The only way that math works is if you look at a small subset of years and remove any sort of like uh, military aid as well and only look right. at humanitarian aid. And right. in that case, yeah, they have a decent amount. But if you're looking at all aid... Yeah. Israel per capita gets far more aid than Palestine does. It's a it's a completely bullshit statistic that is constantly used to try and knock Palestine for some reason. Paul, their citizens get pensions and we don't. Guess who pays for those? Who? The American people. Interesting. We pay for Israel's pension plan, but what? yet we can't pay for Americans' pension plan. That seems good and nice. Well, here's the thing about Hamas, though, Chris. Did you know that it's full of billionaires? And yet it, there's no poverty stricken. Why? Because their leadership is a kleptocracy. They steal every, They steal half the money and spend the other half on weapons and nothing on economic development. So Ismail Hania, who's the leader of Hamas, has, according to Forbes, a net worth of $5 billion. The top three officials of Hamas of, of and that were collectively of, of 11 billion. Um, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, who's the head of the Palestinian Authority, is a billionaire. Yasser Arafat died a billionaire. His wife is a billionaire. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas's two children, his two sons, have $750 million. Is any of that even remotely true? Yeah, so the Forbes quote that he's referring to is yeah. Forbes quoting the Israeli embassy that said 
that the leaders of Palestine oh, are billionaires. God, that's what he's talking about. This was not Forbes. This was the yeah. Israeli embassy in the U.S. Jesus. And I also wonder if it isn't something about their inability because they aren't a state that the they're able to do some trickery on the individual being the government or something like that yeah there is a lot of aid that's put in from other arab nations as well right, and like right. i don't think that these guys are not well off because yeah. they are leading the government right uh, but there was a lot of misinformation propaganda that was put out about uh them being billionaires and then living in the four seasons and things like yeah. that and the four that... seasons actually had to make a statement saying they don't live here they, don't live here. they stayed here once yeah <laughs> so yeah it's not exactly a trustworthy source that we're and talking again, about these these guys are all considered terrorists by israel and the u.s and so yeah. there's no way they're staying out in the open yeah so this is all i mean this this kind of like insane propaganda that they do right and again why is robert f kennedy jr president future president elect having to say this over and over and over again because i i guarantee it i guarantee you every single talk he goes on and israel hamas comes up i bet he's giving these same lines over and over and over and over and over again yeah and i also basically what his point is is that they're getting so much aid why aren't they more economically developed which is a completely nonsensical argument yeah, that's insane uh, I, I pulled up an article from the Arab Center of D.C. that I wanted to share, but reading directly from that article, uh, even though economic development is a priority for international donors, the increasingly complicated nature of the Palestinian-Israel conflict makes the implementation of development projects difficult to achieve. This, in turn, leads donors to allocate most of their aid to addressing urgent humanitarian needs and the PA's budget deficit being the Palestinian Authority. Uh, most importantly, the reality of Israel's occupation of Palestinian land and the political and economic control it wields over the Palestinian institutions causes a good portion of aid intended for the Palestinians to instead be funneled into the Israeli economy, which renders the funds useless for the PA or the Palestinian economy at large. So basically, the situation is so dire that they aren't able to actually use it for development. It just goes directly to like trying to give people food and water most right. of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the situation that he is now hating on Palestine for, which I think is really kind of dark, honestly. This is what I'm saying, dude. When anybody brings up RFK Jr. for president, I just think how he would treat the Palestinian people if he was running. And how many steps removed am I from becoming a Palestinian person, right? That I don't know if that construction makes sense. But for, in the eyes of my government, to be an undesirable. Right? Yeah, and at which How point you have no steps, humanity. Right. How many steps does that actually take? Mm -hmm. It's not many. It's not many steps. Well, here's the thing, Chris, though, is that you're you're wrong. Because Israel's the good guys, and the Palestinians just won't listen to them. This is what I'm saying, dude. I hate this. And instead of, you know, when Israel left Gaza in 2005, they wanted to give Gaza and the Palestinians not only their own independent state, but also to give them the, you know, economic prosperity. So they left, they gave, donated, they donated to Gaza 4,000 greenhouses, these state-of-the-art hothouses to make Gaza economically self-sufficient. 
they offered to rebuild the port of Gaza to make it the Singapore of the West. Gaza is a port is in a strategic location between the Suez Canal, the Red Sea, Europe, Africa, um, and the Middle East. It should be one of the most prosperous places on earth. It has miles of white sand beaches oh that God, the yeah. Jews gave, donated uh, 8,500 villas from families, of Jewish families that have been evicted there and that have these beautiful villas overlooking the sea. What did, what did Hamas do? Hamas said, overthrew the Palestinian Authority, took 600 police and all the Palestinian Authority leaderships, kneecapped them and threw them from the, the tallest building in Gaza. And then they spent all that money that was coming in, building tunnels, 300 miles of tunnels. Somebody is giving RFK all this information. Like, he's not just coming up with this stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's getting talking points from some, some serious solidarity activists with the Israeli cause of bombing the shit out of Palestine. But why would that be happening, Paul? Why, Chris? I think it's because he's seriously compromised. Oh, okay. I think he may have been a part of the Epstein network and has some really compromising shit on him, dude. And if anybody is that compromised, and again, this is what I'm saying. There is a degradation of character when it comes to RFK Jr. There is something very unholy about this man. And I do not think he is a good actor whatsoever. And it's it's just odd to me when you put his view of the Ukrainian conflict against this, like I said, because he seems to try to take a nuanced view of Ukraine-Russia that right. leans Russia, which is right. questionable in his leanings there. And then on this one, he's so fervently pro-Israel to the point of just bad-mouthing Palestinians in a really yeah. gross way that people who are very pro-Israel don't even do. Right. Um, it, like, at least a lot of times people will, will attempt to separate Hamas from the Palestinian people. Right. And say, so, like, this is just a necessary thing, but it is still terrible. Like, we need to limit um, the, the collateral damage. RFK doesn't say any of that. He's basically no. like, yeah, keep bombing the crap out of it. Yeah. They, that's what they deserve. And that's what I'm saying. He is over the top. Yeah. He goes beyond what a normal pro-Israel government person would do. Mm -hmm. Which, again, makes me think he's definitely compromised. And, could is be. Ha and is having to do this. Well, what's kind of funny, though, is that you you made a joke about um, someone having dirt on RFK. And then my yeah. text back to you was, I wonder if he's on the Epstein list. And then I was like, I wonder if he's on the Epstein list. And he was. So, he's, yeah, he's on. He's in the black book, dude. Who knows? Who knows? And, and I know this one's going to upset you a little bit. But him being so close to the climate change movement makes me somewhat skeptical about that movement at large. Yeah, I don't like that one. He was a, he's a huge climate change uh, lawyer. That's how he kind of got re-famous. Yeah, well, he like sued Monsanto. I don't think right. that makes Monsanto good. <laughs> no, 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 Monsanto's I'm, not, say, I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying he's so closely tied to so many climate people that again, it makes me skeptical of the movement. I am not going to put my skepticism on the climate change movement, but um, what we can get into, Chris, is some callers. 
So our first caller asks, who are your donors, RFK? Jen, um, can you tell us about some of your top donors or contributors to your campaign for president in 2024? In terms of the, the second question that you asked was about yeah. my donors. Your donors, yeah. Um, the, the super PAC, the American Values Super PAC, has raised about $30 million. And they've raised it from a variety of donors, but I'm not legally allowed to coordinate with them. Our campaign has outraised both President Trump and President Biden in the last in the last in the Q3, um, and we raised about I think 8.3 billion dollars, and we raised it from small donors. In fact, Politico did an article analyzing because they were so shocked that we had outraised both President Trump and President Biden, analyzing our donor base. And um, there were more Republicans than Democrats by a slight margin who gave us, but the, the one of the biggest groups was people who have never participated in a political campaign, so never before given. I mean, that's what Trump was able to do. Trump was able to really mobilize millions of people who hadn't voted for years or had never voted at all, which is why the polls were so wrong back in 2016. Yeah, yeah. Because the pollsters were not reaching out to the people who ended up voting for Trump. Well, and what I really liked too was how he completely swerved around a super PAC where he's like, well, I have a super PAC, but don't worry about that. Right, yeah. Half of the money from a super PAC came from Timothy Mellon, the heir to the Mellon banking fortune. This is what I'm talking about, <laughs> dude. This is exactly what Isn't I'm that talking awesome? about. Awesome. That's so awesome. He's like, well, I got a super PAC, but I can't talk to them. But let's go on to my small donors. And it's like, no, it all came from the banking industry. You and jackass. That, dude, that we can't coordinate with them stuff is such BS. Oh, it's nonsense absolute crap you know they're coordinating the crap out of each other yeah they're just not officially together on right. paper but you're right. telling me that his super PAC doesn't talk to the campaign come on yeah that's such bs dude i hate when they try to pull that crap but i love that a freaking bank yeah is his biggest pack like gave half the money that he has in his pack super awesome dude I, I love that so much i'm like dude. yeah Okay, buddy. Okay. <laughs> RFK Jr. sucks. Oh, it's not great. But here's the thing, Chris. He's going to fight evil for us, so that's good. We got another caller who asks oh, about that. See, this is what I'm talking Dude, I'm so tired of this construction. We're fighting evil in this world, great evil. And I have made the statement that if you're at war, you have to identify your enemies, and your oppressors, and they are many. How does he think we can unite under truth and light to fight against the great evil that rules this world by night as well as day? Interesting concept, Robert. Yeah, I mean, what what I said that I would do eight months ago when I launched the campaign in Boston is that I was not going to feed into the polarization or the rancor or the vitriol, but that I was going to try to identify values that Americans have in common 
rather than focusing on the culture war issues that keep us at each other's throats. And, you know, what, what George, as you know, what's happening in this country is this extraordinary and unprecedented shift of wealth upward. We're creating new oligarchies. Which is why I went to a banking family to really help me get this message out. Yeah, just destroy the oligarchy by taking money from the melons. Yeah, by by enriching the oligarchs. Yeah, it's going to work out great. Yeah, that's the best. Stealing from Peter to pay Paul. So, uh, but once again, kind of classic, you know, all oh, the middle class is being destroyed, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, everyone yeah. said that. No one's fixed it. Yeah, yeah. And I was, uh, yeah. Polarization is bad. Thanks, RFK. Yeah, no shit. We didn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we haven't noticed things have been getting shittier for the last 20 years, RFK. Thanks for the heads up. I happened to catch all of the riots on the news between BLM and January yeah. 6th and people trying to destroy everything and everything that they see. Like, come yeah. on, dude. We know that we know we're polarized. We got it. So that's that. You know what the thing is, is we really need like some Visigoths, you know, or some Ostrogoths to really just come through and just barbarian Rome, dude. Oh, those are the guys who invaded Rome. They invaded and they destroyed the Western Roman Empire. I don't want that. I would rather just be taken over and then, well, here's my thing. Here's my thing with China taking over America if they give us houses like they did to their people, I'm okay with it. We can't if afford you, houses. If in this you get a home, anymore. yeah. <laughs> Listen, China, you give us all homes, we'll do whatever you say. Yeah, I mean, I'm tired of paying rent, dude. Give me a house, I'll I'll get a social credit score. I don't care. I'm a pretty fair, good citizen. Fair trade, China, dude. <laughs> just the whole American populace. We all vote in China. Yeah, it just be the biggest. It would be the biggest upset. In American history. <laughs> Xi Jinping the next president. <laughs> they voted for China? What? Um, we love TikTok <laughs> so much. What else can these Chinese do? Let's find out. Let's find out. Well, I actually just looked this up, Chris. In my state, I'm allowed to write in a name for president. So I may be voting for myself. We'll see what happens. Um, write it in, babe. I'm not sure I'm still on RFK Jr. right now. No, dude. He Not sure I'm sold. Sucks. <laughs> that might be the title of the episode. <laughs> Future president-elect Robert F. Kennedy Jr. sucks. That's a good title. I like that, man. <laughs> we got we got one more caller about the food supply. So let's get into that one. Um, are you concerned about genetic corruption of the food supply by corporations? And if so, do you think the FDA and USDA could be complicit in that effort? Oh, they're definitely complicit. They're instruments of big food, of the processed food industry, of big ag, of companies like Monsanto, which run them, and, and of course, the pharmaceutical industry. FDA gets 50% of its budget from industry. It does not work for the American public. It works for the industry. It is not working for public health. If anything, it, it's making people sick. And, you know, it's banning, uh, it, it's banning things that are good for you, including chelation drugs and stem cells and uh, many, many treatments that are alternatives that pharmaceutical companies can't control. It, 
it's promoting you know, uh, pesticides like atrazine and neonicotinoids and glyphosate. I mean, I, you know, I just told this story that when we sued Monsanto, we uncovered the fact that the head of the pesticide division at EPA was secretly working for Monsanto for a, a decade. He was killing studies. We have, a, we have a string of emails. If RFK would have stayed in that lane where he's just hitting domestic corruption, I think I would be an RFK head, dude. If he would just keep his freaking mouth shut about foreign policy stuff, he would he would have smashed it and he would have totally tricked me. Yeah, because that's the thing is that that was a good answer. Like, yeah, great answer. The FDA and all these bureaucrats are in the pocket of big business. It's a yep. huge problem. The revolving door yep. of people that leave the State Department and go to Raytheon and then yep. go back to the State Department. Yep. Like, it is a major issue. Or. Our, our Secretary of Defense sat on the board of Northrop Grumman or one of the one of the major yeah. missile defense firms. And it's just like that's insane. Yeah, but that's, that's our actually that's our whole government. insane. Yeah. And then we wonder why the only policies that get passed are those that benefit big business. It's because right. all of the people who are running the government are in the pockets of big business. They get they get treats, and they get more treats when they help the guys that have all the treats get more treats. Yeah, so no treats for us, though. No treats for the American people, and that's why I'm writing in China on the ballot for president <laughs> I feel like they get some treats. Dude, China at least doesn't want you to go hungry. Yeah, that's something. The American, the American government would be like, tough titty said to kitty, but the milk's still good. The moment I found out that everyone in China got houses and they just like forgave any loans they had on them, I was like, that's not a bad idea. And that's the thing, dude. That's they, Xi <laughs> will freaking behead an oligarch yeah. so fast. Yeah. We won't even slap him on the hand. Yeah. We're like $50,000 fine. These guys make $50,000 in two seconds. So. That's our RFK interview, Chris. Um, on a scale of one to five, oh my god, I don't even know what to say on this doo -doo one. Doo doo diapers. Um, doo doo diapers. One to five doo doo diapers. <laughs> what do you give our boy RFK? Dude, I'm giving him one doo doo diaper, dude. I mean, I guess I should give him more doo doo diapers. He should get five doo doo diapers. That's what I was he's, wondering. Which way does this ranking yeah, go? Actually, he is full of shit. This diaper <laughs> is full of poop, dude. It's unbelievable. I don't want anything to do with RFK Jr. Like I said, if he would have just stayed on the domestic stuff, if he would have just bashed the CIA, bashed the FBI, bashed the FDA you know bash everybody dude yeah. that's good stuff and i'm here for it because they're all doing terrible jobs yeah the state nobody department government yeah yeah talk about how congress sucks talk about how the supreme court sucks talk about how the executive branch sucks everything sucks dude so just keep on going for that but then you start getting into your foreign policy and then we get to see oh this guy is just as insane if not more insane than everybody else talking right now. Like he is Nikki Haley levels insane when it comes to foreign policy. And, but, but he gets a pass because everyone's like, well, he's saying interesting things.
Yeah, I'm going to give him a five as well because he's definitely full of shit where yeah. he's going to sit there and try and talk about how uh, Ukraine and the war is such a problem because it's just a way of us, you know, continuing to boost the military industrial complex. But then yeah. he immediately flips to Israel and is like, but we have to keep giving them enormous amounts of money yeah. and bombs yes. to bomb Palestine. And Never I'm like, stop. oh, so you're full of shit. Yeah. Blank check to Israel. Screw the Ukrainians. Yeah, I'm like, that. it doesn't really make sense in my mind. Yeah. So uh, I did like that one answer about how the FDA is out to make us sick and they're in the pockets of big, big business. Um, I think if he talked about, like he said, if he talked about that and talked about the military industrial complex and was serious about it, then maybe I would be more okay with it. But he's, he's a joker, dude. I'm not buying it. Um, he's a, he's a, he's just as big of a hypocrite as all the other ones, dude. And so this is not your savior. Yeah, and I this don't, is not who you put your trust in. I just Find somebody else. I don't think that anyone who uh, Mellon is giving millions of dollars to is really yes. going to help fix the economic system that we tens have. of millions. Yeah, tens so. of millions. So that's where we land on that. Um, I'm looking forward to his presidency. Um, best of luck, future president-elect RFK Jr. I will be writing my own name in on the ballot instead of yours, I think. You suck. <laughs> That'll be it for this week, Chris. Uh, any final thoughts? All conspiracy, all the time. Later.